0: Have you ever wanted to give yourself better odds on winning a bet? Well, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to do just that. All players who place a bet on Sunday night's basketball game between LA and Denver will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,000 players who bet the over on Sunday night's game, the over-under will drop by one point.
1: Every better who hammers the over in Sunday's Denver vs. Los Angeles game helps to lower the game's over-under. The best part is that even as the line lowers, the odds remain at even money. That's right, you can double your money by hammering the over. If that isn't enough excitement for you, there is a HUGE title fight happening this weekend at UFC 258. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience.
0: So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN when you sign up to hammer the over on Sunday night's basketball game when LA takes on Denver. For every 1,000 people that bet the over in Sunday's game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the over hitting. So tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code THPN for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Virginia, call 888-532-3500. Hi, everybody. My name is Tom. Mikey is somewhere on the other end of this conversation, and we're here for Bar Down Breakdown, episode 102. And we've got our homie Nate from Judah and the Lion. And we have a really cool interview coming up. It's not, you know, so often that we get to talk to uh, someone that, like, plays banjo and, like, you know, All this cool stuff. So really excited for you guys to hear our interview with Nate and uh hear all about Judah and the lion and how they're bending genres and uh have become a a real big standout band in uh in 2020 and beyond. But before we jump into that, let's do our uh our new segment, Scenes from the Box, where we take two minutes to talk about uh something that's on our minds. And uh I guess there's probably nothing Nothing better to talk about than how uh, COVID has uh, kind of hit the NHL pretty hard. So, uh, without further ado, two minutes on the clock, and we're in. So, uh, Mikey, um, I mean, you know, our Islanders have faced it, had to uh, cancel some games. A lot of other teams around the league have canceled games, and, uh, you know, we're getting reschedulings and all this kind of stuff. Uh, You know, what's uh, what's happening here? What's going on to, uh, you know kind of throw everything out of sync?
1: I think it like, at least in the Eastern Conference, it can be traced to the New Jersey Devils. And mm-hmm. I guess they didn't shut things down as quick as I think the Sabres would would have liked. Mm-hmm. And the Devils were playing the Sabres, you know, it must be about a week ago, maybe even a week and a half ago, and a bunch of Sabres went back to Buffalo and have now tested positive for COVID because of, you know, playing against the devils a little while ago. So, uh, that, that's why really why the Islanders games were postponed, um, started as snow and then COVID started to creep in. So right now New Jersey and Buffalo are not playing and Mm -hmm. the NHL has, um, kind of stepped up and said, all right, Get rid of the glass behind the players' benches to improve mm. like circulation. Okay, so hopefully that helps. And you know, I I, I can't see it makes that much of a difference because it's already like a pretty empty arena where hair yeah. is probably flown around pretty easily. But mm-hmm. if 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 they say so,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's um, I don't know. It's tough. You know, it it's it's tough to ever think that in you know a competitive you know, physical sport that something like this can be um, you know, completely avoided. Um, you know, players are sitting, you know, next to each other on the benches. Uh, you know, you're you're still traveling, even if you're not traveling as far as you used to be. I know they're trying their very best with all of the protocols and they're trying their very best to um, you know, to keep uh keep secure in all of this, but you know, I guess at the same time, you just got to remember that even with the opportunities these guys have, some of these guys are, you know, in their in their 20s and might not, you know, realize the importance of, uh, you know, staying safe and,
1: you know, well, kind of. Keep- it's not even them you have to worry about. So, like, I don't know if you saw like why Josh Bailey was on the COVID list. It's because Josh Bailey's son's teacher had, had like tested positive. Oh, wow. COVID. So it's
0: like that, it's that far removed, huh? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So like, since Bailey's kid, like had to be sent home, like, because, you know, that there was a cluster of COVID at the school, that's why Bailey was then placed on the COVID list.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, so that's, that. that's, <laughs> it's, it's not, crazy. It's not
1: just like the 20 year olds going crazy. It's also the dads yep. who have kids yeah. in school.
0: No, you're right. And that's our that's our two minutes, but just to add, obviously, it um, you know to to preserve this entire sport in this season, you know, I know it's um it's kind of wild out there. So you know props to the NHL for shutting things down when they get a whiff of uh, of you know, any of this any any transmission and you know, the possibility of it just to keep everybody safe. Uh, you know, as a fan, it, I know it's a little bit aggravating because you you really want to see your uh, your team's play and stuff. But you know, just know that all of this is is, precautions and making sure that, uh, you know, we can have a season, you know, as weird as it is, but you know, it, it's, it's uh for the greater good, right? Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, so having said that, you know, we're not going to belabor the point. Uh, we're going to get right into our interview with Nate from uh, Judah and the lion. And like I had alluded to earlier, it's uh really super cool. Um, you know, Judah is one of these bands that, um, is really, very different in so much that they're mixing elements of, of folk, uh, rock, punk rock, hip hop, R and B, uh, all into these, uh, really crazy songs. And, um, you know, having the opportunity to talk to Nate, getting to know a little bit about him and his love for hockey, but also about, uh, you know, how this band came to be, uh, you know, how they ended up meeting up and putting things together uh, really is really super cool. Um, the last record they had put out was pep talks in 2019, which if you get a chance, uh, such a cool, listen, that record, uh, it's a long record and it's very diverse. It's got a lot of cool things going on. And even if maybe it's not in your wheelhouse, you know, maybe you're a, you're a pop punk guy and you know, you don't think you'll dig it, give it a shot. Because like I said, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, I gave it a shot myself and you know, I ended up really liking the record and I hope you guys do too. So, uh, you know, enjoy our, our interview with Nate. Uh, from Judah and the Lion, and we will see you on the other side.
2: It's real great, feel I'm well on my way to my dreams coming true, and I'm getting to do it with you. It feels so nice when the people sang along, they singing along with the banjo.
0: going on everyone bar down down. breakdown back at it and uh we've got uh, a super special guest uh episode 102 we're here with uh nate zerker of judah and the lion uh which is kind of wild to me since judah and the lion are like this like enormous force in the alternative world so we're super stoked to have you uh what's going on man how are you oh
3: dude thank you for that kind introduction Uh, I'm doing well. Really glad to be hanging out with y'all. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, um, just to just to jump right into it. Um, so, y- your second record, uh, you know, is full cop and roll, which is kind of like really a-, a mix of the the three things that you guys do and do well. Uh, you know, that being folk music, hip hop, and rock and roll, kind of just smashing them all together. Um, so it makes sense that, you know, you would just kind of put it out there and be like, well, this is what we're going to call ourselves and kind of define this mesh of genres. So, um, I guess the first question I have for you is, uh, where did your love for folk music start? You know, did it start when you were young or when you were a little older, you know, how did you, uh, come to love it so much?
3: Yeah, uh, I would say, um, kind of late middle school was probably when I first got introduced and Nickel Creek was sort of the,
1: uh, gateway
3: for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I still am really into this, but, uh, like pop punk and metal were my first sort of loves in the the music world. Um, so I was really into that. And when I was starting to learn guitar and then, uh, when I heard Nickel Creek, I was kind of like, this is, this is the folk version of metal. (laughs) And I really, Kind of resonate with what's going on and not that i totally understand it but it sort of hits those same feels for me um so after that uh i think john butler was the next guy that really sort of brought me in the guitar player and um the combo of those two just sort of changed what i maybe preconceived which maybe was more like a singer songwriter vibe or something like that that was still interesting but i've always been more on the music side of things rather than the lyrical so I still struggle to, you know, even if you asked me to quote some of our own lyrics or all that, (laughs) I'd have a little bit of trouble. Um, So I'm paying attention to other things. And uh, yeah, so kind of got into uh, more acoustic stuff. I got a dobro and a mandolin just for fun. Um, And then when I graduated high school, my sort of mentor had an old banjo laying around and so was like, hey, maybe you'd like this.
0: Sweet.
3: And that was the same summer that I heard about Mumford & Sons.
0: Um, yeah absolutely and um, that
3: was really when it
0: all when it when it all started started going yeah it's yeah. um I, one of the things I've, I've found is there's um you know being a big alternative guy um there's like a big market for kind of like folk punk and stuff you know with bands like i guess you might say like yeah, maybe like the first against me record or two kind of have some <laughs> of those vibes and then like you know ajj and like all that kind of stuff which is super cool um but so you you said that um you know it kind of started when you you started playing guitar and then you picked up uh, the dobro and like the mandolin and the and the um the banjo and stuff. So um you you started with an actual guitar and then you kind of graduated to some of the more folkier instruments from there.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um
3: and yeah, tried different things and you know, with a knowledge of how to play guitar, you can kind of dabble on different instruments, but banjo is the first one that I really I guess started taking lessons on and wanted to really understand to now we're to the point where I'd say that's my first instrument and guitar is not. So, I, yeah.
0: So for, so for our, for our listeners out there that might not be super familiar with like the banjo and the mandolin and stuff like that, we're talking like really a completely different style of playing. Cause I mean, granted you can finger pick a guitar of course, but primarily, I guess on a banjo, that's really what you're doing. Um, you, you're more, you're finger picking. And of course the, the tuning of a banjo is a lot different from a guitar. So, um, just, I guess, give us a little bit of insight. And for our, our listeners, um, you know, what is it like to transition from playing a guitar to playing a banjo?
3: Right. Uh, so there's a four string, a five string, and a six string banjo. Um, but the five is the traditional American bluegrass kind. So that's what I've primarily focused on sort of dabbled on the other two, but, um, when you listen to bluegrass, that's the typical kind you're hearing. So, um, yeah, as far as, uh, like finger movement and dexterity and finger picking, a lot of that did trans over, transfer over from guitar, but you're right that there are different tunings. Um, I, that's another thing for me that I was sort of used to, especially listening to John Butler, cause he has all these wacky tunings that, um, Actually, I think helped me get more into banjo and have a better understanding of that. And I still like if you come to our shows and watch me play, I'm swapping banjos constantly. And that's mainly because I'm changing tunings and getting handed off to those different uh, sort of setups. So definitely some similarities. And you don't have to finger pick like you can strum and there's different techniques. But again, the sort of traditional bluegrass American way of playing is a three finger picking style um, that I, I would say is primarily what i do but um i also feel like i am constantly getting away with something and breaking rules <laughs> um if there was a traditionalist watching or
0: something like that but well yeah. i i think that's um i think that's one of the like most refreshing things about like, judah and the lion in general is that like you are taking all of these genres and meshing them together but like even you know with uh with pep talks you know listening through through pep talks i mean you guys have like such a a range in what you guys are doing um you know you've got songs that are like real pop driven and then you've got the you know i mean i I, i'm gonna talk about it later but like i'm gonna launch into sports and how i think that that's just (laughs) like one like just a, a fantastic thing to put on the record but um you know even uh you know right in the middle of your record you've got queen songs human which is like an eight minute song which you wouldn't expect to to be on this record but then again there it is and i feel like the last four minutes of that song is almost like reminds me of like an explosions in the sky song you know it's just <laughs> like and, and i think that that depth is what makes you guys so fantastic so um on that note when you guys you know go into the studio uh, to write and when you start to kind of build these sounds and you start to layer and stuff um is it ever do you I guess the question I have is like, as far as featuring specific instruments, like, do you go in and say, okay, well, we want this song to be a little bit more banjo heavy, or we want this one to be more mandolin heavy, or you know, we want this one to be a little bit more straightforward, like, um, like rock and roll? You know, how, how does that come to be? Like, are the songs written specifically for each feel, or do you go in and kind of flush them out when you're when you're in the studio?
3: I think we're still figuring that out. Uh, <laughs> And I I think it looks different each time. Um, I guess if you were to look back at every song we've put out, the only thing that's consistent, I think is that there's a banjo in every song. Okay. Um, And I guess Jude is always singing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But otherwise, like, you know, Brian plays mandolin on every song, but he sometimes has more of an electric guitar style tone on that. So I would say it's even more just an electrical guitar. Um, So with that, it's, I guess the only thing we know that we have to do in some regard is get a banjo on there. (laughs) But, um, like even with our, our song spirit that just came out more recently. Um, I guess for me, I'm always trying to figure out like, how do I just do exactly the right part? And I guess, you know, I'll admit that I've gotten that wrong for sure. But I'm always, I think it was my jazz band teacher growing up that he would say that the real good players are the ones that know when not to play. Oh yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to find the right pockets of space for me to be in that really will help the song rather than, uh, you know, staying on my pedestal that makes me think, <laughs> Oh, the band was the best thing in the world and I should be on everything. And I think it's a balance of each of us figuring that space out, um, and trying to, I think our goal is always to serve the song best. And so that's why we have so many different feels and maybe styles of songs. Rather than having a more consistent sound, and I think in some ways that's been a huge gift to have that freedom, but has also sort of shot us in the foot, I imagine, with certain folks and listeners. Or they may really like one song, and then the next one comes on, they're like, "What the hell is this shit?" (laughs) (laughs) You know. And so I think it's been somewhat hard to, especially earlier on. And I I think the full cup and roll record was maybe our sort of like coming out record (laughs) in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. of saying, "Hey, we're." we like all these things. We're just going to try this out and see if it works. And I think a few years later we're starting to really hit that sweet spot with trusting ourselves, but there was definitely a period where we had to like qualify everything. And I think if taking it all back, hadn't resonated with people as well as it did, I, I, I don't know what would have happened, but it, it felt like that was sort of our saving grace after a, a big leap of faith and grateful we still get to try things <laughs> and have that freedom.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the interesting things, you know, talking about musicians having to, like, earn the right. Like, not that it's it should be a thing, you know, you, you really shouldn't have to, you know, like, earn the right to be diverse in, in how musical you want to be. But I, I guess sometimes you really kind of have to do that. Like, when you look at, um, you know, like. I don't know. I, to even talk about like, like Dylan, for example, right. Bob Dylan. Right. So, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, the classic albums that, you know, he, that were more straightforward that he wrote in you know the sixties uh, and even into the seventies. The and then all of a sudden, you know, come late seventies, early eighties, he's branching out and like writing a lot of different, more like rock inspired music, but it's like, you know, he paved the path for all these music- musicians, I should say. So it's like, you know, Bob Dylan can do whatever he wants. Like if Bob Dylan wants to, you know, write like a 13 minute song, that's just him pissing in a pot. Like (laughs) you, you've earned that. So, um, but I think it's an interesting dichotomy to talk about because, um, you know, as artists, I mean, I don't think that you really have to earn that right to, to to do what you want to do. And I mean, I think it's a great thing that, you know, you, you had a a song that really, really stuck out and and resonated with people. But now, you know, after, you know, take it all back. And I mean, like, you know, even listening to like Beautiful Anyway, which is, you know, one of the more recent things you guys have put out, which is fantastic. It's like, you know, if you guys decided in 2022 that you were just going to write a folk record, you know, like who gives a shit if you're alienating your fans? Because in reality, like it's your art, you know? So do what you want with your art. But I guess, you know, I'm jaded in so much that way because there's so much music that i love that didn't fit the mold and some of my favorite bands that wrote different records that everyone poo-pooed on but for me it's just like well you know there's no no way in hell that you can be 16 and write a record and then be 35 and be expected to write the same record that you wrote when you're 16 it's just impossible
3: right yeah and i think it's it's sort of a balancing act you know because even for dylan you know that second or third record. I'm sure there were a lot more expectations than his tenth or eleventh record, and that's, sort of that's what you're true. saying. Yeah. Is he's earned yeah. it, so it's definitely a balancing act of like, okay, you know, I, I want to be able to do this for a living, and so if I if that's true, we have to figure out some sort of trust level. Yeah, some sort of time,
0: conformity. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah but true. like for a long time, we were just the, the new Mumford and Sons, or you know, <laughs> comparing to us constantly to people, and I think part of that is because we're so out in left field people are like we have to try and throw you in some kind of box but um yeah and i i'm curious i'm always curious to see where we'll go next but it does feel like we're coming back a little bit on or learning how to take some of our roots more of the folky side because as much as we love experimenting and trying all these other things and because of all of our Mm influences and stories you know i think we can do a good job at many things but i i think we're starting to appreciate more that the folk side is maybe more where we feel at home and so and you can see that i think this year in particular with our releases that we're trying to sort of expound on that um which i love because you know i i think that is my favorite thing to play at least i don't listen to folk and bluegrass as much as i enjoy playing it but uh, which I guess is interesting, <laughs> but I've had seasons, so.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I guess I'm more of the history guy of of okay. the two, and I, I like to follow like a timeline. So when I was looking of like looking up your history as a band, it goes back to Belmont University. So yep. you guys just like lived in the same dorm, took some classes together. Like how did you link up to end up forming Judah and the Lion?
3: Yeah, so Belmont uh, in Nashville is not officially a music school, but draws a lot of musicians, Um, I think largely just because of the environment that it's in. Um, But Brian and I were both in the same guitar program. Uh, We started as guitar majors and then switched to banjo and mandolin, respectively. And so just naturally had some opportunities to play together, and uh, we were hanging out, kind of had a similar friend group. so Judah called me through a mutual friend, sort of looking to make a small record that was more bluegrass style. Um, he'd typically been doing more of the rock sort of stuff and just felt like that wasn't meshing with the songs he was writing. And so he wanted to try a few other things. And it was super common to get together and jam and just sort of mess around on instruments and stuff like that. So he called me and I was like, sure. I, I don't know. I, just, I wasn't saying no to anything at that point. Um, and he and I had never met before, but, uh, had both heard about each other. Um, he was kind of the all-star baseball player at the school. Um, first baseman sort of legend. I I don't know. And just a really good guy. So had heard about him quite a bit. And I guess I was the sort of homeless looking bearded banjo player that sat around (laughs) campus all the time. And, uh, got together really connected and he asked me to bring along any other, other folk players I knew. So brought Brian and, Three of us just really hit it off really well um towards the end of two thousand eleven and uh we recorded that small record um and I think for Judah initially he was just like, "I'm gonna make this project, and that'll be it and I was the one that sort of was like hey this is this is really special <laughs> um we should think about keeping this going and um yeah, it all i mean it's it's been a massive process, but at the same time I, I think we've had a lot of really fortunate Opportunities and events that have happened for us, and uh, it's pretty wild that I guess coming up at the end of this year will be ten years. So,
1: awesome. still Congrats. doing it. Yeah, hell yeah, man! So, Thank does you. like the the student union union like hit you guys up every year to play like your spring fling or whatever? I uh,
3: I don't I don't totally know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get contacted about that stuff, and I don't hear about everything. But uh, we have done a few. I guess sort of a uh, discussion or st- we've spoken at different events at the school as sort of panels and things like that. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe we've been asked to do things that I'm not aware of, but, uh, they definitely are very proud of us. And, um, I think we're still in there like sort of video that, sort of shows off their programs and stuff like that
0: and yeah so. like they probably show to all of the students they're just like look at these guys look, look what these guys are doing you could do this too if you come to belmont university
3: <laughs> right yeah i think we're one of those groups that they they sort of show off in that way yeah it's so like
0: what it's, it's like suny courtland just literally just shows like a bunch of reels of like mick foley getting thrown off of like <laughs> the hell in the cell and that's really all they do right mikey
1: well, yeah, no one even knows SUNY Cortland other than <laughs> people that live in New York. So Nate has no idea what you're talking about. That's not in my head. Like,
3: <laughs> absolutely.
1: So, um, Nate, you're originally from Colorado or the Nashville area?
3: Yeah, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, went to school in Nashville and I've kind of moved around a bunch and uh, I'm living back in Colorado now. Um, so, yeah.
1: So, good to be home. Yeah, absolutely. So did you find that like your like allegiance had shifted when you were in the Nashville area because of like just how awesome it is in downtown Nashville for the Preds?
3: I think in some ways, um Yeah, it, it is a really electric and fun city and exciting place to be. And um be I I love sports, and so anytime I guess something exciting is going on. It's fun to latch on and the Preds have definitely been a fun team to watch lately. Um, But I I think too, like it became really obvious, you know, when we're playing each other, it's like, all right, (laughs) very clear who I care about right now. Um, And maybe wasn't as sure before, but uh, I think we played each other in the playoffs two or three years ago. And it was just so obvious that I, cared about colorado um a lot more <laughs> and and to like i always wanted to get out of here and be able to go pursue the music dream and this didn't feel like the place to do that but um at the same time as soon as i left i was like there's no place like it and i and i can't wait to come back so um my allegiance to colorado has stayed true i, I think the one exception is the the nashville soccer club um I would probably root for over Colorado Rapids, but that that's also largely in part because we've been involved in sort of the development of the artist culture, the team culture. And we got to write their sort of team chant song that they play at the beginning and end of every game. And so I, I think with that, I've just, I feel like I have to, but I also want to root for Nashville, but every other <laughs> like Broncos playing Titans for sure, going for the Broncos as play Preds, absolutely going for the abs. Um Yeah.
0: So you're, so you're a uh, avalanche fandom. Um, let's trace it back. So, um, you know, are we like talking like sack Forsberg days? Like, is that where it started or was it a little bit later, uh, you know, on in life? When where did you start, uh, you know, becoming an Avs fan?
3: Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was 1999 was my first game. Um, one of my so dad's you- best friends took me. Uh, we played the coyotes and won six to one.
0: Nice, and,
3: there you go. uh, it was just, uh, you know, I got really spoiled that, that game. I got really spoiled in general growing up. It's like, so next year we won the cup and it's like, Oh, this, this happens every five years. <laughs> and, you know, Broncos had just won two super bowls and I was like, all right, like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> and then the droughts came, um, that we're still in, but, uh, yeah. So Forsberg, Sackick, uh, Adam foot, Alex Tengay Chris Drury, um, yep all those guys, uh Rob Blake. Um yeah.
0: But I think
3: going to that game really was like, okay, this is special, this is something I care about. But you know, when they won the cup against the Devils in two thousand one, um, I was in southwestern Colorado on a family vacation and my mom took me to the bar to watch game seven. (laughs) Um and I was the youngest kid in the bar. Uh and that was I think when I really was like, Okay, this this is my my game. Um, and Forsberg is still my favorite player ever. Um, every Jersey I get, no matter the team or sport, I always customize it with my name and 21 on it. And, um, so he's just stuck with me a ton, but, uh, in general, uh, yeah, very fond memories of all those guys. And, um, so I guess I was, I'm 29 now. So I was, I think eight years old when I went to that first game. Um, Um, it's, it's been rad.
1: So you you all, you, you must like, you you were probably pretty young, but you must remember when they got the team, like you probably like five or six at that point. Right. So like, I'm sure you remember the excitement in the city.
3: Totally. And I, I think I was a little like my parents aren't hockey fans. Um, if anything, they're really big Broncos fans. And so I remember particularly at a young age watching Broncos games and making a bigger deal out of that. But I, I think when I got to go to the abs game, that was really when I was like, okay. And I'm, I'm sure that I, you know, heard about them coming a couple of years before, but I, I think I didn't have anyone around me that was helping me be excited or able to appreciate that. That was what it was. Um, so I think that second Stanley cup was when I really like full in.
1: Oh yeah. Hopefully one once in my lifetime i'll experience just one but
3: (laughs) all right this is the time i mean i feel like a lot of people are saying this year might be the the time for
1: y'all
3: I could see colorado and islanders maybe going that'd be that'd be spicy
1: That would be real spicy (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially since you got our our boy devon devon now so that'd be a nice storyline
3: yeah am i wrong on that i feel like i heard people saying islanders are
1: I've never heard. Looking that really good calling. this year. Well, we we look good, but no one yeah. in the media ever give us gives us any credit. They they okay. like to poo poo on us. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sorry about that.
0: <laughs> uh, it's it's. I mean, it's not it's not your fault. It's just you know, it's that's just the Islanders are that team where they really they really don't have like a bona fide star. I mean, like there's there's Matt Barzell who's great, but it's like you know when you look at. You know the caps or the penguins or you know even even you know the avs like you know, there's not like a like a a big time star on the team. and and because of that, most of the like the political pundits out there, should't say political pundits, that's just the <laughs> word I've been wanting. I've just been saying a million times, but the like sports pundits and the hockey, you know, the hockey um generalists out there are just like, yeah, you know the Islanders are good. you know, maybe they'll you know, maybe they'll just creep into the playoffs and you know that's about it. you know, I, last year, everyone was saying that the capitals were going to demolish us and you know we we ended up making it to the conference finals but uh right. um but so talking about that that second cup win uh you know the other thing that made that pretty uh, incredible was that uh you know Ray Bork got to you know raise a cup so i mean um that probably would have put you a little bit older uh do you remember specifically when uh you know the avs ended up getting ray bork in that trade and and like you know the the kind of buzz around colorado at the time totally yeah. Um, and
3: I yeah remember vividly him, him picking that up. And I, I think if any, I didn't totally understand the history of who he was maybe, um, but I remember how big of a deal it was. And obviously he came in and made a, a huge presence known. Um, it wasn't just the, the old skipper that <laughs> everyone wanted to get a cup, but he really played like he, you know, still had it and deserved it. And so as my young, ignorant 10 year old self, <laughs> You know, just glad to see a guy come in and crush it and obviously yeah. could appreciate that it was really meaningful. But I, I think it was later on. And I, I know it's taboo to be a fan of Boston, being from Colorado for different reasons. But um, I really do love it out there. And I've gotten to do a lot of cool stuff with the Bruins. And like we played the Winter Classic with them last year. And, and that was really special. And so I, and I'm again, taboo. I love the Red Sox as a Rockies fan. That's really messed up and I'm sorry to all of those folks but um so I I and I hate the patriots I'll say that that's my all right so so that's thing. good that's yeah. good. at least you, we, you at least you hate the pats yeah we have that um <laughs> but What's, I think that's all given me a better awareness of you know ray Bork's story and what happened and why it was so important for him to finally get that um at the end of his career so
0: yeah. So, and, and I mean, and you just touched on it. So we might as well just launch right into it. Cause we don't get an opportunity to, you know, talk to guys that have played the winter classic before. So I, I just love to hear um, how you were approached about that and um, what that experience was like.
3: Yeah. Some of those things, I don't totally know how or why we got the opportunity. Uh, I, I think particularly for Judah and I we're really big sports fans Um and so to match music with sports in a lot of ways just kind of naturally makes sense to us but um anything that comes up like that we're we're definitely jumping on or you know we get a lot of opportunities to be asked like what do you want to do what would be your kind of your dreams or your goals or venues or situations you want to play at and so our team amazingly through you know tons of hard work and their connections has been able to make a lot of those come to fruition but uh yeah, it's. I don't know if we ever asked to specifically play the Winter Classic, but um, <laughs> I think I don't even. I'm gonna. I don't know if they're at ESPN. We have a lot of stuff we do with ESPN, so I feel like that may be. Is it put on by ESPN?
1: Y'all know NBC Sports Network. Okay, NBC so sports. Yeah. So,
3: so no, um, <laughs> that's not the connection. But uh, and again, I some of these things I just let the team work on them and let us know how they are coming. But uh, we've definitely put a foot forward to say, we want to be involved in sports related things and putting out, you know, the song sports didn't hurt any of that. And also just, I think when people get to actually talk with us and realize like, we're not just saying crap, like we actually (laughs) care and um, are invested in these things. Like a lot of the college football stuff we've gotten, I think is because Jude such a big UT fan Okay. And as soon as you talk to him and get to know his family, it's really obvious that that's like a a blood thing with his family and sure. multi-generational and a big deal. So a lot of that has come. And then for, for me, it's more of the hockey, soccer, extreme sports side of things that we've gotten to do. Sure. Um, and Brian loves lots of things. I don't know if he's super passionate about sports, but he's always down and excited to be a part of whatever. Um, so, so um,
0: yeah, so as, as part of uh, playing the winter classic, like, what level of, um, of access did you get? Like, did you get to like, to, to meet, you know, any of the, any of the players Did you get to interface with, with them? Like, you know, what, what was just that experience like for you guys? Uh, we
3: didn't get to meet any players, unfortunately. Um, I, I never know with some of those things too, if like we pushed for it, we'd be able to, but I I think there's sort of a, an understanding that we have in the same way that, you know, I don't necessarily want to be bothered a whole lot before we, Go perform or something like that, that sure just kind of let them do their thing. And, um, but I think the coolest part was just getting to like the morning of you know, it was snowing and we're in Notre Dame at the stadium and got to go in and sound check at I think it was like nine in the morning and, um, explore and run around the stadium and be down on the the field and all that stuff. And so that's I, so that's, <laughs> that's maybe the most fun part of it. Um, is just sort of getting to have all access to different areas of what you wouldn't normally get to, but even I, going to the game was super special. I'd never been to an outdoor hockey game. Um, I hope I get to go to a lot more, but that was a really unique experience to be with 80,000 fans. And um, I was pulling for Boston. Um, but you know, it would have been more meaningful if it was Colorado, but that's okay. Sure. Um, so <laughs> getting to do that and then going through the same tunnel that the players went through and getting to walk down there. um, on the field to perform. I I think that was really special and got to see them up close. You know, we didn't talk to anyone again, but they're all really big. They're really
1: (laughs) big guys.
3: So (laughs) that was pretty nutty. Um,
1: Yeah. And Weezer was there. So I was just going to say that I'm pretty sure Weezer played there too. So that's cool.
3: We've we've done a few things with them too. And um, so that's, that's interesting (laughs) to (laughs) be in that spot, but it's always good to see them and, you know, they're veterans and what we're trying to do. And so, getting to watch their kind of decisions and how they handled things and they played before us too. So we got to sort of watch them and how they were going to do it. But um yeah, it was, it was amazing. I, at the production level of it and how they put it all together, how much is going on at once, um, how much they have down on the field. Cause you know, the field is like four times bigger than the rink and mm-hmm. yeah. how they make that feel like it's still entertaining. And also I think I was sitting like, we're at the 50 yard line probably halfway up the stands and i still felt like i was you know right there with it so and um, that was interesting too to still feel involved and like you could see what's going on and the energy was was pretty rad so
1: cool and then i don't know i guess the same year pretty much you're on the the nhl 2020 soundtrack like two i'm, I'm assuming bucket list you know items for you so you know yeah can, can you tell us like were you super stoked when that when you found out that you were going to be on the soundtrack
3: absolutely uh i think nhl 2003 was the first one that i played that uh, i really remember and the soundtrack on that game was massive for me <laughs> um i think madden and both yeah madden and nhl that year defined a lot of who i would end up loving i think like. Uh, Good Charlotte and Avenged Sevenfold and Gob, and
1: I think brand new uh, was on that one.
3: Brand new, yep. Uh, Unwritten Law, um, a few others. Just like still bands that I love today. That I really do like what they do, but like the nostalgia factor bring me back to those. Um, those years are really important. So every year, those have been a source of me finding new music that I get excited about, and obviously love the games and. The sports that they're about, but um, yeah, we became friends with a guy named Steve that's largely in charge of making um, all the music happen on those games and was too back then. And so we got to meet him and sort of say what I just said now. And he's like, "Yeah, I remember hanging out with Avenge Sevenfold and making the deal that got them on like six of our games." And- we need to talk <laughs> to
1: Steve. We've been like because we've actually talked to a few artists who have also been on the on the NHL soundtrack, and we're like who's the guy that like comes up with this because he clearly is in touch. Like he clearly knows like good alternative music. Like yeah. who is this guy? And no one knows, but now we know it's Steve. So his name's Steve.
3: <laughs> um, and he's, he's a legend. He's one of those people you sit with and you're like, Oh my gosh, like the stuff that he says, you're just like, what? And he knows <laughs> everybody. And, but I think my favorite part was that he was so adamant. And I think you can tell. And it's one of those things that once I know this and maybe y'all will agree, but like, he's very adamant about every game and he's lost a lot of the control on Madden. So that's not as true on that side, but, um, he's trying to make new artists known and bring people in that aren't as familiar, that really create a vibe that supports what's going on and trying to help their career along. And instead of just going for the, the big sort of pop or hip hop artists that maybe would be sort of the throw-ins, but, um, yeah, so we got FIFA and NHL in the same year. That was insane. Those two things for me were particularly like, you know, every meeting we've had with this sort of like, what do you want to be on? Like, I'm like, I want to be on (laughs) these things for years. And, and, but finally when we got to hang out with Steve, um, that was when it, it really took hold and he's involved in a lot of stuff. And he was also the guy that connected us with the Nashville soccer club stuff we got to do. And, so very well connected and very kind and encouraging and um yeah i'm thankful that he cared enough about us to give us that opportunity but that was definitely like i have i have a sort of trophy shelf over here and both nhl 20 and fifa 20 are right at the center along with our, our red rocks trophy we got when we got to play there but those are like the three main things for me so far and i'm like
0: ah! i mean so so yeah let, let's talk about that though i mean um red rocks is just like an I, you know i've i've, I've never been I've only, you know, seen, you know, pictures and you know the like I just watched um a couple of months ago, uh Phoebe Bridgers played like an incredible set at Red Rocks. But um I, I mean I hear it's just like a transformative experience. So uh and then I'm I'm sure you've seen um you know performances at Red Rocks, but being on the other side of that, what's that experience like? Uh it's
3: incredible. Um grew up going there for sure my my parents have played there there in the symphony so they've gotten to do a lot of this sort of backing group stuff um so it's been kind of a family thing for me ever since i remember and Very uh cool. yeah um it's everything everyone says uh I, I think it's one of the only experiences i've ever had to where it exceeded my expectations of what it would be like um as cheesy as it sounds time did move slow like it felt like a four-hour show <laughs> compared to our hour and a half set we normally do and that was a really good thing like just felt like i was finally able to really appreciate something we were doing because it's hard for me not to look forward to the next thing or be like okay we did it what what's next um
2: yeah
3: yeah yeah so that was really special and meaningful like i'm still sort of processing because for me that was kind of if you were to ask me growing up like what do you want to do what's your dream would be to headline red rocks And I used to say, like, and then I could die. And so it's kind of been like, okay, really, though, I've done the thing that I wanted to do, and so what does it look like to still be motivated and have goals and have a better maybe awareness of how to appreciate those things? But that's a whole other talk, I'm sure. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, it's magical. Like, all the tunnels you can go through that are secret. Like, uh, all the green rooms that have part of the rocks – kind of creating the wall and that you can climb yeah. on them and feels like a play, like a playground in some ways back there and <laughs> i just was a kid the whole day and i you know all us i think more than any other show or anything we've done had family and friends fly in for that and so it just was it almost felt like more of a wedding reception than uh a normal, show, a just
2: normal show
3: like i had a rehearsal dinner type vibe the night before with all like like <laughs> friends that flew in and then and everyone gave speeches and stuff and and so i, I don't know it was just it was a very magical celebratory event of and our entire team was there too which never happens like flew in from all over the country to it just was a very celebratory kind of like all right Way to go, everybody. Let's take this in. And um, I'm really glad it happened when it did, because you know, summer 19. If it was scheduled for 20, it wouldn't have happened, and who knows what it yeah. would. Yeah. So I feel like we got it in kind of before all this went down. And I, I don't know. So very grateful. Um, I'm also not trying to like list off stuff we've done and then be like, let's talk about how <laughs> rad we're getting.
0: Well, um, you know, and, and it's really funny because I was I was just gonna ask you, you know, so like take the enormity of playing red rocks and let's dial it back to like early in Judah and the lions career. Like, do you have a memory of just like one of those, you know, like small club shows or like, you know, something where like just the atmosphere was just so raucous and it just made you feel like, Holy shit, like this is rock and roll. Like, do you have any of those experiences, like playing smaller cramped ass hot sweaty places that like you just like you know red rocks is is up here but this is right below it
3: totally uh i guess there's probably two that i think encompass that the best and it's one at the 40 watt in athens georgia sort of a legendary small club i think it holds about 500 people
0: okay
3: Um, a lot of artists have come from that area and that's sort of their their main place and um it's close to nashville too so that was a really it was kind of in the circle of we hit a lot of college towns when we were first starting out. And I think that was, that was a big goal for us at the time. And like our manager was like, it's way too bold. You can't, you can't do that yet. And we're like, (laughs) no, we're going to do it. And for some reason, somehow it sold out. And um, I think that was the first moment where we're like, okay, this is, this is a real possibility. Um, I think that was the fall of 2013. Nice. So definitely early on. Um, Then the other one, uh, which I think has been able to really give us good perspective, but we played at uh, the Larimer Lounge in Denver. I think it was November of 2014. And that's a small club, holds 200 people. Like you can almost touch the ceiling. Um, Stage is way too small. Just gross, but also (laughs) perfect kind of vibe. And uh, that was our first like real show in Denver. Um, and then before we did Red Rocks last year, we got to play there again, just as sort of a, a special intimate event. Um, and it was nuts, but it was just kind of like, okay, going from there to the same venue, I guess, six years later or five years later and how much things have changed, but how special this still feels. And, um, it's really awesome to be able to get to do those smaller events still even though you can't fit any of our production in there and it's sweaty (laughs) as heck and
0: yeah but but i I think that's that's one of like the the sweetest things like uh i remember in um you know back when i lived in in new york city that the old thing you know bands would come through and play uh like saint vitus in brooklyn this like club in brooklyn which is just like I, you know, just kind of like a divy bar it holds maybe 200 people and, you know, it would be like the, like the tune up show before, like you go play, you know, one of the larger venues, terminal five or whatever it was. Right. And, um, you know, like, I, I think, uh, even like jawbreaker, like when they announced that they were coming back, <laughs> um, like, I think they even came through St. Vitus and it's just one of those things where like, you know the pageantry of like a of, a of a humongous show and like with the whole with with all of the production and everything is fantastic because of the kind of awe that it inspires. But there's something so like visceral about just playing to like 200 people where like people can like barely move, and it just makes it so much more intimate. And I feel like you can like just kind of spread your wings a little bit more. I think there's something so so great about that. Um, and it's awesome to know that like, you know, you can still hang on to those experiences, uh, you know, being that, you know, now your, you know, your, your show as they call it is so much more, more broad, but, um, you know, as far as like your, your show is concerned. And of course now we're talking, you know, deep into a pandemic as it were. So, you know, I'm sure it's been a while, but, um, uh, you know, so I, I know that Judah and the lion is really comprised of, of the three of you guys, but when you guys go out and play, um, you know, how many other musicians do you guys usually bring along with you? Uh, like how is the instrumentation, you know, when you guys are, are playing like a full show, let's say.
3: Yeah. We, uh, when we perform live, we're typically doing six people. Okay. Um, sometimes we'll do like acoustic radio promo events and stuff like that, where it'll just be the three of us. But, um, our more fleshed out representation of our record when we're performing it's it's six of us and um and that would be another electric guitar player uh a drummer, and then um our sixth position has kind of fluctuated over the last few years, but now it's someone that's kind of doing a lot of the electronic production triggers and stuff like that, but he's also a really amazing drummer, um so he has a percussion setup as well, and then when our main drummer can't be there that guy will just swap over and we'll become five, um, for those certain shows. But traditionally we'll go for six and that's been our setup for a few years now. And I think assuming everybody, you know, I guess who knows really what everything will look like after the pandemic, but if everyone can and is willing, um, that's hopefully our setup that we'll continue with.
0: Do you, do you guys bring a, bring a bass player out with you?
3: Um, we have before and that's, again the sixth position is kind of fluctuating depending okay. on the uh the event we're doing but part of what um garrett will do is he has a moog synthesizer bass and he'll also Got play it. a guitar sometimes that will have sick the, the bass notes coming through it so it's not a traditional bass but you know in some of our songs we've done this year we have a very like like beautiful anyway there's for sure an
0: electric bass yeah in there bass, and, yeah like a real bass line in there Yeah, for sure yeah
3: and we haven't been able to perform that live or figure out how we want to do that so I, there's been talks too of you know like getting garrett to learn how to play bass so he can just swap that over rather than poor,
0: a, poor garrett man just like gotta do everything he's he's got a master's in music so he can oh so he's fine yeah, he's he's,
3: he's asking for it <laughs>
0: yeah but that's our traditional setup for sure
1: sweet cool so Nate, you mentioned early on that you were a fan of pop punk music as a as a youngin. So, you know, a, as you start hitting the road, have you know i I've seen that you guys have played with Jimmy Eat World. But like, are there any other like bands from your childhood that you kind of like were like, oh, I'd love to play with this band, even though they don't necessarily like fit the indie folk world, but like you somehow landed a show with them.
3: Uh, no, Jimmy was definitely the, the main one for that. Um, and that tour was nuts getting to, it was us, Jimmy, then incubus. Um, so I was just a, felt like we were way out of our league there, but, um, and that was fun too. I met, uh, Mr. Jim on the first (laughs) night, And I was like, Hey, I'm a big fan. He's like, Oh yeah, we're just out here. It's a, it's a rock and roll summer camp. And then he just walked away. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> that is exactly what that tour was. Um, and it was, it was awesome. But, uh, I mean, I guess you could throw Weezer in there. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch genre wise, but, uh, no, I, I think a lot of the artists that I would, you know, really prefer or looked up to at that time, um, just haven't quite got to I, I wish maybe we could mesh more with like some forty one or yellow card or that sort of vibe, but it feels like a little bit too well, too off. But I don't
1: know if that's too far off because Ryan, the the vocalist for Yellow Card, is now like a Nashville resident and does a lot of like the acoustic solo folk music kind of that's stuff. True.
3: So okay, that's true. Okay. I need nice. to I need to connect with him. <laughs> but i think the next generate like i guess the next closest thing would be paramore we've gotten to do a lot of stuff with them i wasn't as big of a fan growing up but definitely had awareness but uh mm-hmm. and they've become close friends of ours and um particularly judah and i think if i lived in nashville it'd be a little easier but he's <laughs> he's keeping that connection alive um but yeah i i don't know i i always thought it'd be fun to go on warp tour as grimy and grungy as that would be, but getting to have that experience. I, I think when I was streaming, when I was younger, that was more of the, the route that if it were all up to me, I maybe would have gone. Um, but I'm glad to be a part of a team with different ideas and to be where we're at.
0: <laughs> and, and I got to tell you the truth, like realistically, I mean, you know, like will Warp tour ever come back. The answer to that, especially in, in the world we're living in is probably a hard no, but let's just, <laughs> let's <it>. just theorize. <laughs> Well let's just theorize here that, you know, like um everyone gets healthy, we're able to to nip this pandemic, and you know, Kevin Lyman decides, like, hey, you know, we're all healthy, let's bring Warp Tour back. Like there is no reason that like Judah and the Lion couldn't play Warp Tour. Because I mean, let's be honest, like, you know, you guys toured with 21 pilots. And I mean, 21 pilots, like has been on Warped Tour and will probably still fit on Warped Tour and I mean you know like even if you look way back into like the Warped Tour of the 90s I mean yeah it was always you know you know effects and your lagwagon but I mean Eminem played Warped Tour you know like it's and it's like um okay. I remember some of my, my some of my favorite bands like in the 2000s that never would have fit on on Warped Tour in, in terms of it being a punk rock festival when it like broadened. You know, I remember seeing, uh, something corporate on Warp Tour. I remember mm. seeing Ozma on Warp Tour. Um, you know, all of these great bands. So, I mean, like, I, I guarantee you, like if Warp Tour comes back in some capacity, like you're going to get a call. Like you think, you think you won't, but you're going to get a call and they're going to be like, Hey, you guys want to play main stage? And you'll be like, yeah, hell yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. You know? Uh, I- but, um, it's- as far as just talking Warp Tour real quick, um, I, I don't know if you're like me and you've been to like, uh, like almost every warp Tour that's ever been, but um, do you have any like interesting or cool warp Tour stories that you can remember from when you were young?
3: I only got to go to one um, and it was summer of 16. So one of the, one of the last, one of um, the last. And largely because when I wanted to go, when I was younger, I wasn't allowed to, oh, bummer. Um, and then got to college and, uh they didn't have a nashville stopover for a few years when i probably would have been able to go yeah and then they added it but then we started touring so i was always gone and then summer of 16 I had the opportunity to go in chicago um and it was incredible uh and i just like you know i'd heard all about it i have all of the compilation cds they would put out would watch videos but i didn't really understand yeah. how it went or what the like rules were or what it was like and so uh and there's rules well i guess just more so like it's not a normal festival at all where like you know you know when every band's playing you know where they're playing and so one of the biggest shocks was getting there like right before doors open and then i wasn't i was with my buddy who was more of a veteran um he's like yeah they just announced when every band's playing yellow card goes on at 11 i was like what the hell <laughs> and so like doors open and i was expecting you know them to headline and and all this stuff, and you know the probably the main band that I'm there for is the first band out of the gate, so just like, okay here here we go, so just book it in trying to get as close to the front as possible for yellow card, and then it just kind of was yeah. free for all the rest of
0: the day but so um, back in the day back in the day um I, I, and I, I'm sure it was probably the way I, this whole on the whole tour, but they would have this enormous um like inflatable Set time. I don't even. Yeah, like like set time list. Like it was like it was like a humongous like balloon, and you you would just like walk in and you'd see all the set times on this this list. And like this is like back in the day when like you know maybe if you were lucky like you had like a like a clamshell shitty flip phone that you could like take a picture of it. Yeah. But like if not, (laughs) like you'd literally like have to like okay, like you like write shit on your arm or your hand. Or if you were smart, you'd bring out like a little notepad in your back pocket. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I'm mean, like to say that it was like lawless is like 100% right on the nose because it was like you know like talking to you you know and one of the questions I wanted to ask you which uh, I'll get to right after this being that you know looking over your your body of work I mean you guys have played like every festival that there is to play um, and I just kind of wanted your input on that but warp Tour itself was just like like you know what you're getting into like you know that it, they're only going to be 30 minute sets so you know like you know, Rancid's still going to be able to play 20 songs somehow in 30 minutes, but like (laughs) all of your favorite bands are only going to play maybe eight or nine songs and you're, it's going to be, the sun is going to be beating down on you and you're going to be dehydrated and want to die. But like, that was the best thing about it. Like, you know, when Warped Tour in New York was on Randall's Island, like you knew whatever you, like whatever part of your body wasn't covered in a piece of clothing was just going to get dark with dirt. Yep. And like, I remember like, just like, like my snot was like br- brown and black for like a week. And, but it was like a badge of honor, you know? So right. I, I think that's, that's like Warped Tour in a nutshell, but yeah. So, you, you know, you guys have, uh, I mean, like, it's like staggering all of the different festivals you guys have played and all of like the, you know, like Good Morning Americas and, you know, all like the, the the late night shows and stuff. So um, any interesting experiences or, or like funny stories that maybe you could tell about, You know, a festival that you played, or you know, playing like one of those like late night shows, or like anything that kind of strikes up where you think, "Oh my gosh, yeah, this happened and this was wild."
3: Totally, I I think some of it just comes from like remembering or learning that everyone's a a a regular ass person, Um, (laughs) and so like a couple things with Billie Eilish that I think are particularly funny and awesome. she was like mega famous on Instagram before she blew up uh, music wise. So yeah. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't aware on the Instagram side, but um, I was on the same flight as her and her brother on the way to, uh, I think it was, just a radio festival in San Francisco. I forget the name of it, but not one of the more, it wasn't like outside lands or something like that. But, yeah. um, and she went on before us cause it was like just right when she was getting her radio presence started. Mm-hmm. And just watching her with her brother, and I think their mom was with them too. And they were just like, obviously, she looks striking. So I was like, who the hell is this, like, <laughs> kid that just looks yeah. so like oddly dressed, but also has that vibe of like I'm a big deal.
2: Yeah, and
3: not not. I mean, I got to hear her talk, and she was kind, but it just you could tell you can kind of tell when someone's a when you're out of the loop, maybe on something you should know more about. <laughs> and just seeing her doing normal things and then you know go to the show and then watch her performance and i was like ah yeah, this is interesting this is kind of <laughs> weird uh and then too we played uh austin city limits last fall and she was one of the headliners so like seeing her transformation and performing through because we i think we've done four or five festivals where she's been performing on some level so it's been cool to see her grow but also like you know, she's back in the artist area where we're all hanging out, and she's just like sitting on a picnic bench eating a sandwich. <laughs> just like, you're so normal. And, but also not. And I, I think those are the kinds of moments that I'm really appreciative of or, or kind of more um, interesting. Or like when we played Letterman, which was the first uh, kind of late night show we ever did back in 2015. Um, you know, he's really like he was kind to us and he's such a big deal. And that was, I think his last year. So there's a lot more kind of pomp and circumstance around the set and things like that. But sure. one of the most striking things to me was literally five minutes after we get off and the show ends, he's in shorts and like a tank top <laughs> eating ramen noodles, just in the back. Like again, just being, this is my job. Like <laughs> whatever. I'm thankful for this. And I'm just going to hang like just such a funny thing. And uh, we did, James Corden, a couple years later, and one of my best friends was living in LA at the time. And so he got to come um, hang out with us. And he had to take a phone call in our green room, like if we needed to go outside to have a smoke or anything like that, was to the roof. Um, (laughs) And I guess James has another door that he can go out and smoke and chill on the roof or whatever. But uh, my friend Luke got locked in or locked (laughs) out from getting back in. And then uh was kind of like trying to i don't know what to do crap like he couldn't call us either because we were about to go on and didn't have our phones or whatever but james was out there at the time and like they just had a they hit it off had a great conversation and then brought him in and everything and just (laughs) hearing luke talk about how just again sort of kind and thoughtful and helpful um james was i think that's those are my favorite stories when you just get this sort of appreciate that these people are people and they're trying to be helpful and that's not always the case and you know we all have our bad days and sure i've seen some of that too for different people and but i'm trying to understand their perspective on why that might be and things like that but I, i i just love when you hear those kinds of things it's like okay that's just a normal ass dude trying to to live a normal life yep in the midst of the chaos so
0: exactly yeah live a normal life yeah i love it
1: now you 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 kind of mentioned uh like just these encounters with these like big names that normal people would kind of like lose their cool over but like with the cool shit that you've done i'm sure that there's professional athletes who know of your band and are legit fans of your band so like have any like hockey players or soccer players come to some of your shows and like introduce your introduce themselves to you, and you kind of like lost your cool over that?
2: Um,
3: I think, and I'm gonna JJ Reddick's basketball player, right? Yeah, yep. mm-hmm. I should know. I I know he plays sports. So I was like, is it Josh? It's JJ? <laughs> um, he's boys with Judah. Um, and he came out to a Red Rock show, and I was kind of out in the parking lot beforehand, trying to catch up with all my high school buddies that were there and just say what up and all this. And JJ walks up to me, and I don't—I didn't know even know what he looks like, but he's just like, "Hey, dude, it's me, JJ. Stoked to (laughs) see your show." And then I was again—I wasn't super aware of what was going on, but as soon as that interaction ended, another friend came was like, "Bro, (laughs) do you know who that was?" I'm like, "Oh." I guess that's not really answering your question. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think for me, as of now anyway, uh, I was at the X Games last year um, and got to hang with some of the – like Jack Matroni and Scotty Lego, who are two of my favorite snowboarders. um, And getting to hear them talk about how excited they were to hang out with me was a really humbling – experience because to me i'm like oh you guys are my like hey oh you're and it was just i think you know it was set up by um a mutual friend to like get to hang with them and all that but i felt like i had to show my sort of credentials and resume to get time with them and then to hear them be like dude we were so stoked when we heard that you wanted i was like okay oh, what is this like i'm just nate like i'm just normal kid that i i don't know i just i went back to my childhood self looking up to these guys and not that they're that old but even in like high school early college when i was like you know saw the art of flight and scotty's just hucking it and doing all this gnarly stuff and to then appreciate that he was a fan of what i was doing was just something i never expected um and so i try to one of those things that like i want to stay humble and i want to be appreciative of everything but i also you know need to remember that there's a chance someone might like what i do and can contribute in in the same way that i look up to them and i'm really honored to be in that position but uh yeah that's probably my i don't know i hope i'm answering your questions well
1: no no dude, that, that was super <laughs> insightful and cool i i enjoyed hearing that story so so i so just to, to kind of bring this full circle. Um,
0: I'm just kind of interested in hearing your perspective on, uh, you know, how, what you think the abs are set up for this year. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're talking a pretty stacked team. I mean, you know, between, uh, you know, obviously Nate McKinnon and Landis Cog and, you know, all, you know, all these guys, obviously, um, scooping up Braden Holpe, uh, you know, signing, you know, Petrangelo. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are looking at the Avs to be one of the powerhouses out of the West. But, you know, we're talking a completely different Western conference and where we're playing all the same teams eight times. So do you have do you have any specific um, other than, of course, hoisting the cup? Because that's what everybody wants. But like, what are your expectations for this season? Who are you looking at um, in terms of who you think the breakout star is going to be? that maybe isn't Nate McKinnon, um, you know, anything you're, you're looking at specifically.
3: Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of what people are saying is very fair and realistic and saying that we have a a pretty good shot, if not the shot. Um, if I've learned anything though, that (laughs) with any team or that doesn't mean a whole lot until, you know, it actually happens. So So yeah, Yeah, hold that lightly and um, stay optimistic. But uh, I do think this is the first year in recent memory where I haven't really had to convince anyone that that's a real. I think we've been a very good fighting force and presence and uh, deserving of a playoff spot, and I think people would admit to that. But um, I feel like this is the first year I can remember in a long time where it's like, okay, if we don't win, something kind of went wrong um, in some ways. So I'm stoked about that hold that again lightly, uh, see what happens. Um, I, I think if we have any thing that makes me particularly nervous, it's our goaltenders. Um, I, we've got some great guys, but I don't think that I've seen or believe in their consistency. And I think with the way that this year is going to play out with them sort of, you know, doing a 60, 40 split, I think is the current plan. Um, and we'll see if that holds true for the rest of the season. But, uh, Yeah. I I think that's the only part where I'm like, I don't feel super confident here. I feel like if they can do a good job, the rest of the team can carry us. But if they start to have some, some rough patches, um, we could see some real issues. Um, I don't think we have any issues on the goal scoring front, but uh, as to how many goals we let in, that'll be a a different story. Um, But I really am pumped on some of our young defenders coming in. Um, I think my favorite player right now is Calvert Uh, got to go to a good bit of games last year and just watching him play was, was really exciting. Um, But I know he's not alone and kind of that young force that's coming in and complimenting our, our upfront guys. Um, But yeah, we'll, we'll see. And um, I'm also really excited because this is probably going to be the first full year that I'm in Colorado since high school. And so getting to, you know, we can't go to games right now, but optimistic that maybe later on that'll change. Um, but just even getting to, you know, I don't have to juggle. Do we have a show tonight or do I have to go to a meeting or something? And can I catch a game? And so a lot of these guys, too, I've heard a lot about, but haven't gotten to watch as closely as, you know, I would have liked or what I grew up with some of those guys. And so um got a pub right 50 yards across the street from where I live right now that puts on the game every every game and so i'm um, looking forward to getting to dive in and it's fun to be around people that care about the team and that's another thing too that you know i can go watch the avs game but i have to find a bar on tour and then i'll be the only guy that actually gives a shit about the avs while i'm there and it's it's fun to be back in a spot where you know i'm um, i'm able to learn from other people and get to share the sort of excitement with everyone there as well and So I think it's going to be a little bit of a a renaissance time for me to really get to enjoy the season in the midst of, and I saw that with, you know, the playoffs this year, that was really fun to in the midst of all the other crap going on, but getting to watch every game and dive in and be more involved. And that was really exciting. So, um, Oh yeah. I want to act like I know everything, but I also have a lot to learn and, um, but I'm looking forward to getting to know these guys more and see how they play together and kind of the
0: new experience and all that. So, you don't have to worry about that because I'm I'm absolutely gonna end up getting flamed for this later. But like, <laughs> I I was looking up like you know the, the Avs roster to talk about people other than Nathan McKinnon, and like I ended up pulling up some sort of like f- fantasy roster. So like <laughs> Hol- Holby's not on the Avalanche, and ni- like n- neither is uh, Petrangelo. Like I don't know what the fuck, but that just made me look like a whole ass dummy. But uh, at least I good.
3: got. I I wasn't gonna call you out on it, and I no,
0: you should have. You, <laughs> you absolutely should have. You should have been like, should have been like, what are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> at least I got like Landeskog and McKinnon, right? Like those were two guys that I knew. But like, right? I'm looking at this roster, and as I'm saying it, I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, hope he signed with the Canucks, and then like I look like down, and there's like a bunch of like posts under this roster, like cool, like cool fantasy roster and I'm like oh shit <laughs> well so and and we're not the, the fancy kind of podcast that's going to edit that out so it's just going to it's going to go live and I'm going to I'm going to eat a plate of shit for it so well uh, I'm I'm sorry it, man <laughs> no it's not your fault it's it's totally <laughs> not your fault and uh let this let this be a lesson to all of you youngsters out there who might want to start a hockey and music podcast uh make sure you're looking up the rosters correctly otherwise you're going to look like a dummy So I'm looking directly into the camera to let you know, don't be a dummy. Hey, I be smart.
3: Okay. It's okay.
0: (laughs) So, um, we've been chatting for a while. It's been, it's been fantastic. So uh, the one last question I have for you, and I told you I was going to bring it up and I'm going to bring it up. How did sports make it onto that record sports with a Z by the way? Yes. Very important. Uh, (laughs) we have
3: a group of friends in Nashville. Um, sort of led by the guy that does all of our music videos. His name's Matt. Um, And he is an incredible artist, really in every sense of the word, super creative, really good at music, really good at film, photography, all the things. Um, And good enough, I think, at each of those to, if he really made a good run, he could do any of them. But he's chosen the film side and super proud of him. Um, He's crushing it. But uh, he is, one of his like biggest hobbies is just to make music that is funny and (laughs) call the bands really stupid names. Um, like I think his latest is dad meat. Um, (laughs) and a few others that just are like, what the hell? Um, but he puts on these little like punk house shows and he'll invite other bands and then they'll close it out. And it's just, our electric guitar player plays with them as well. And, a couple of our other guys have subbed in just here and there and I'm, I'm hoping to get my call someday. <laughs> um, but he wrote sports. Um, and it's just, it was kind of one of those, that every time they would play it, we all got super excited and, uh, we just felt like it would be a fun idea if we could kind of make our own rendition and put it on a record. And so he, he allowed us to do that and he actually played guitar and sang on it with us. and. Uh. And now, when we perform it live, and he's in town, um, he'll hop up and perform it with us too. But uh, felt like just sort of with the heaviness and honesty of that record as a whole, we kind of wanted to close it out with um, something a little bit more lighthearted and, uh, but also representative of who we are. And I, I felt like, for me in particular, it was kind of a a hail mary to my childhood and. I hope like part of me was like, can we please just make like punk folk music, please just like (laughs) do a whole record like this. That's all I want to do. Um, And it felt like for that day in the studio, it was a it was a real gift. Um, And I'll I'll remember that forever. But uh, yeah, we love sports. It's that's what it's that's what it's about. And uh, it felt like a really funny way. And I, I think a lot of people probably don't appreciate that. That was maybe a more honest representation than. They may be aware of uh with some of our <laughs> who we are and what we like. Um, but it felt like a, a really fun way to do that. So
0: um we do love sports, we love punk music, and awesome. uh it was a lot of fun.
1: Awesome. So man. yeah. Dude, Nate, man, we're we're really in depth to you. Like this was just an awesome conversation and we really do appreciate the time you gave us.
3: Dude, well, I'm I'm honored to be on here and I was I was out skiing with a buddy today and told him what I was doing tonight and um I get to do a lot of interviews and things like that. But I really love the ones where I get to talk about things that aren't just uh the music side of things. So thankful for you all asking questions about that side, but also uh getting to talk about another side of who I am and what I love and um so thank you for having me and would love to be on another time if I can help you out or be a part of something else going on And um if we ever get back to being yeah. in person, hope to hang with you all.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a digital handshake right now between, between your camp and our camp. If the Avs and the Islanders end up being, uh, being in the cup finals, we'll have you on and we'll, we'll live stream a game and we'll, we'll really get to the, to the crux of, of what Nate is all about when it's like in the thick of it, you know?
3: Oh, that would be awesome. Let's, let's hope for, for both of our sakes
0: yeah definitely man so uh, again nate thank you so much for your time uh judah and the lion if you haven't heard of them i don't know what rock you're living under but get the hell (laughs) out of that rock um and uh and and go give them a listen uh totally great stuff pep talks is a fantastic record and uh you know we love sports we love balls
3: (laughs) (laughs) great reference all
0: right nate uh, thank you so much man you have a great rest of your night
3: thank you guys talk to you later
0: take
2: care two so meat other day you hate yourself in anxiety depressed the mess to death you'd open up and welcome wide with a smile they told you it's clinical, but I seem so critical I wish I could convince the thoughts that you keep
0: We're back after our interview with Nate from Judah and the Lion. Super cool guy. Um, you know, just seemed just so excited to uh to, to get to chat with us, and we were super excited to to talk with him. Um, you know, really really cool stuff, like I said, uh, you know, in the interview. Uh them really meshing all these styles is something that's uh, you know, kind of unprecedented, and you don't see that all the time. Um, you know, it kind of makes you think of uh, You know some of those bands in kind of like the early uh, to mid 2000s that were starting to um, sort of like bring elements like uh, the receiving end of sirens for for instance like you know even though they didn't do it on as broad of a scale as Judah you know they were kind of a post hardcore band that put some elements of like electronic music into what they were doing Um, you know so I think that's super cool Um, and then you know you've got some other bands out there you know um, even though they're I wouldn't say maybe they're meshing styles, but they're developing their style as they get more mature as a band. But I mean, you know, look at a band like fallout boy, right? You know, they start off as like a pure pop punk band and, you know, now they're writing songs with, you know, R and B hooks and, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of developing more into the pop and rock vein. Um, you know, any other, other bands that you can think of that have kind of, uh, took genres and really mashed them together to, to make something kind of cool.
1: Uh, I I guess like you could say bad rabbits, right? Like
0: Oh yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention that. that,
1: Yeah. Um, I think like our homies, Ryan and Brian. You know, they're they're Oh yeah. Yeah. That's very true. You know, even Ryan's own solo project, First Vows, like that's got like some rock and then also some like R and B and hip hop influences.
0: R and B, hip hop and soul. And I mean I guess our our homies in, in driveways too, right? Yeah. Are kind of like pushing those boundaries, which is really cool. I always think it's great when um you know a band kind of makes that decision that they don't have to fit into one specific box and we kind of talked to to Nate about that about how you know they as a band understand that you know they have to you know not necessarily obey to a fan base but you know they have to write music that is reachable um but at the same time they don't have to fit into one particular mold, which uh, I think is great. Um, and you know, it speaks in their songwriting. I mean, when you listen to, to pep talks and you listen to the diversity on that record, I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse, but, um, it really is something special. So, uh, super cool, uh, to chat with, uh, with Nate about that. So, uh, um, one thing I did want to bring up, uh, just because, you know, the old adage goes, um, if you don't talk about being vegan, you're not actually vegan and our very own Mikey CLT, AKA Mikey Ryan, AKA D boy (laughs) uh, has decided along with his, uh, his wife to jump from their vegetarian lifestyle to being vegan, which uh, is a, is a pretty tough thing to do. Um, You know, me personally, I've never done it, so I can't speak from experience, but you know, we've got a lot of friends uh, you know, notably, our, our, our good friend of the pod, uh, JJR, who's been uh, you know vegan for a long time. But um, I'm kind of interested. So you know, not that this has anything to do with hockey or music, but what's that <laughs> transition been like for you? I mean, you know, were there things that you were you had in your diet that were like you know something that wouldn't be vegan that like you're really missing right now?
1: Not really. You know, I would say I was 95 percent vegan or the past couple of years anyway. Okay. Um, Because I'm not like a crazy cheese person. Like that's why like most vegetarians say like, oh, I can't like go vegan. I just love cheese so much. I'm not really like a crazy cheese person to begin with. Okay. And, and like, same with like eggs. I, I, I don't really, every once in a blue moon, I would have an egg sandwich, mm-hmm. but I'm not like eating eggs a few times a week. Like some people do. So yeah. to me, it wasn't, that difficult and it, that's why i was just like why have i not done this already so yeah yeah back on uh january 1 caitlin and i just you know decided to go go full vegan and it really hasn't been too tough and i think it's because it's been gradual and okay. you know even like when we went vegetarian for the first time like it was a gradual process we started like eliminating red meat then you know eventually eliminated chicken and you know mm-hmm. we weren't really big beef eaters to begin with mm-hmm. so you know oh it's it's just kind of something that we have been talking about for a little while and it needed to happen so
0: definitely. now are you what i was gonna ask is are you like a like a big like like meat or protein substitute kind of guy uh like you know do you like go out there and try to find like you know like like fake chicken or like, you know, fake this, or, or is it really just like, not um, so much. Okay.
1: Just because, um, you know, it it's still like ultra processed and yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's, it's probably no better for you. Um, every once in a while we'll have like a, a vegan chicken patty. They're pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, but we, we don't mess too much with the meat alternatives. You know, the, Beyond burgers are pretty good, but yeah, that's once in a blue moon anyway. Because, like I said, we we we're, we weren't big burger people to begin with, so it's not like a weekly thing anyway.
0: No, I hear you, man. Um, but just I, I think lots
1: it... of chickpeas and lots of black beans, <laughs> and that's pretty much your diet: beans and chickpeas.
0: Hey, I mean chickpeas are great. I I I'm a huge huge proponent of hummus. Um. I love, and, and I, I mean, I love beans too. Like I love black beans. I love, uh, uh, like kidney beans, um, you know, like cannellini, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, um, just, you know, out of curiosity, um, you know, I, I went and I looked up uh, to see if there are any vegan hockey players out there. There are a couple, um, yeah. TJ, yeah. T- TJ Galliardi
1: being one of them. Yeah. So and, you, I, I think I brought it up, um, you know, like when we first went into the bubble, last playoffs, um, I I stumbled upon this YouTube like vlogger who was mm-hmm. in the Toronto Maple Leaf system. Okay, and he was he was like their Toronto Marlies goalie, but then mm-hmm. after the season he was traded to Nashville, and he's vegan. Okay, yeah, so it, it's pretty cool because now that he's in Nashville, Nashville's a pretty hip place, so he does a lot of like. Yeah. Vegan reviews and goes to a bunch of the vegan restaurants in Nashville, which i I think is pretty cool,
0: yeah, that's definitely pretty cool i uh and I just gotta share with you just because of how hilarious this is. So you know I went on Google just to look up vegan hockey players just to see you know who popped up and um so you know the p pe- the people also ask function where you get to kind of see like what else uh, have been asked. So I'm just gonna read off a couple of these uh, for you. Um, one of them is. Is Brad Pitt vegan or vegetarian? So, you know, a lot of people want to know if Brad Pitt is vegan. Um, do NHL players pee their pants? <laughs> uh, so that that popped up there. Uh, how do vegans get B12? Because apparently there are people in the universe that think that you can only get your vitamins from, uh, you know, uh, meat, which is ridiculous. And the last one, which I really, really love, is... <laughs> I like this one is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger still vegan Just not is Arnold Schwarzenegger, just Arnold Schwarzenegger still vegan. And just in case you were wondering, he's still mostly vegan. So you, Mikey Ryan are uh, essentially um, on the same path as as the Terminator. Yeah. So I, you know, I think you should start telling people that I think that's really going to boost the morale of your kids in your classroom as well as all your friends and family.
1: I don't even think the kids in my classroom know who he is. Well,
0: that's a shame. I think you should show them that very, very bloody, terrifying
1: movie and uh, let
0: them form their own opinions.
1: Kindergarten cop?
0: It's not a tumor. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's enough rambling out of us. Uh, We really appreciate you guys hanging with us. Again, uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to go check out Judah and the Lion, I'm sure you probably have and you may not have even realized it. Uh, Cause you know, they've got tracks that are everywhere, but go check out pep talks. It's a great record. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview, getting to know Nate a little bit more. Um, you know, as usual, we'll just kind of drop our, our, our cool stuff going on. So we've got a, uh, still a couple of those uh, jaws tees uh, left over at c 2 chockeynet Our homies in coast to coast have been uh, uh, blowing them out. A uh, crazy, crazy sale they've been doing. Uh, We're just trying to get through our shirts. Uh, The flagship tee, I think, is officially sold. Uh, So hopefully in the coming months, we'll uh, be hitting you guys with some new and interesting stuff. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, As always, super stoked to be a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, Make sure that you check out the Hockey Podcast Network and all of the great content creators on there, uh, just because you'll probably find your next favorite podcast. And uh, if you don't, I I don't know what your problem is, man, but, uh, you know, that's your, that's your fault. Um, also, uh, very important to let you guys know that, um, uh, we're still kicking and, um, you know, we're really, really excited for uh, some of the interviews that we got coming up. So please stick with us, go check us out wherever you love to get your podcasts, whether that's, you know, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, maybe Stitcher, Spotify, we're all over the place. And, uh, if you haven't had the opportunity, uh, to check out our uh, other socials, we've got uh, some of our stuff on YouTube now. Uh, we've got a TikTok that Mikey has been painstakingly working on, and of course, we've got all of our uh, you know cool playlists on Spotify, and we've got our uh, our um, our awesome stuff on our on our podcast network. So again, uh, we really appreciate you hanging along with us. Uh, we appreciate you letting us let you know that Mikey's vegan because now it's validated the fact that he's vegan. And of course I say that in jest because I, um, you know, uh, making that change to your lifestyle, uh, you know, whether it's to be healthy, whether it's for personal reasons is, uh, quite a change. And I, uh, can commend anyone that's willing to do that because, uh, you know, I love eggs and I love cheese and I love ham, I guess. So now you guys know, <laughs> but, uh, Mikey, do you have anything else to add? Anything that we might've missed?
1: No, I think you got it all, man. You're a pro at this.
0: I'm get yeah, I'm I'm becoming such a pro at just knowing all the things to say. Um, so that's that's where I'm going to leave it. Uh, oh, and by the way, um, by the time this episode comes out, there will be a Super Bowl winner. Um, and that's it. I don't have an opinion about it. I'm just letting you know that by the time you listen to this episode, you'll know who has won the Super Bowl.
1: Amen. <laughs> All right, Tom. It's been real, dude. Peace be with you. And also with you.